Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. I'm back with my girl, Jenna Bieber. She is coming to us from the East Coast of the United States, like myself. Thank you, Jenna, so much for coming on the show and offering your journey and, yeah, just letting us into your world and what that's yeah. been like for you guys. You guys have been on quite a ride. And yeah, so, we have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you guys are going to hear all about it in just a second. But I wanted Jenna to come on. I thought it was important because I know that some of you guys who connect with me on Instagram are in the limbo of deciding whether embryo adoption is the right path for you and your family and expanding your family. And so Jenna's going to start with telling us about her diagnosis. And so Jenna, how did you meet your husband? Like, did you guys like grow up together? Did you meet in college? Yeah, we met in college. So my husband went to um, the University of Pittsburgh. We live in Pittsburgh now. And I actually went to college on the eastern side of Pennsylvania. So we weren't anywhere near each other when we went to college, but we met through a mutual friend and kind of did the long distance dating thing across the Mm -hmm. state of PA. And we actually got engaged during college and then got married right after we graduated and been married for seven years. So here we are. Amazing. Amazing. So what point in your marriage did you guys decide that you wanted to start growing your family or was it something that took a little bit of time? Some people, you know, they wait a little while, you know? Yeah, we, from the beginning, we wanted to take time to like be a married couple and settle Mm -hmm. into married life. I know that's, you know, what a lot of people Mm -hmm. say. And so we sort of had like the five-year plan. Um, We just said, we're going to get settled. We're going to kind of do what we want to do, spend time, you know, getting things in order and So we took that five years and, um, I, like I graduated with my master's, got a new Mm -hmm. job. We moved from our one bedroom apartment to a three bedroom townhome, started saving money, like Mm -hmm. all the stuff that you check off the boxes for. Yeah. Yeah. So we took five years to do that. And then five years in, we were like, okay, now it's the next part of the plan. Mm -hmm. Next step moving on. And then that's when we were ready to start trying. So. Okay. How long did you guys try for before you sought the help of maybe your OBGYN to start with and then getting the referral, you know, that whole. Yeah. <laughs> so our, our whole infertility journey was two years. Um, but when we were ready to start trying, I stopped birth control and my period was not coming back. So like immediately I knew something was going on. It wasn't like a scenario where we were trying and everything seemed normal and nothing was happening, but it was like, I literally did not have a period, which, you know, I knew that meant I wasn't ovulating. And so I knew that I couldn't get pregnant. Um, And it was weird because like prior to birth control, my periods were generally regular. It wasn't like a thing that we thought we were going to have a problem with, or that was any cause for concern, but um they just didn't come back. So I started working with my OBGYN in the fall of 2018. And her first advice was to wait it out, give it another three months and Mm -hmm. see if they come back. And, you know, when you're in the middle of infertility, three months, like waiting a day is like waiting forever. Yeah. Yeah. Like (laughs) all these people get pregnant around you. You just feel like you're losing time, but I waited and nothing happened. And so It wasn't actually until January of 2019, so a full six months after I actually stopped my birth control, that she finally prescribed letrozole for me to induce ovulation. So I like, it was a full half a year that I did not even ovulate, but yeah, so the letrozole worked great. 
Mm -hmm. I was able to ovulate on that. And so she said she would give me six cycles of that. And if we weren't pregnant by the end of six cycles, then she would refer us to a fertility specialist because, you know, the stats are within six months that you should be pregnant. Right. So that's what we did. And of course we thought, great problem solved. I'm ovulating mm -hmm. now. We're going to get pregnant. No issue. <laughs> and we still didn't get pregnant. I mean, and we were tracking carefully, like timing everything. I was doing ovulation predictor kits. I was doing basal body temperature monitoring. I was taking supplements. I was doing acupuncture, everything that I could. All the things. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but it still didn't happen. So we went to the fertility specialist in August of 2019. So it, at that point it had been like a little over a year from when we started trying, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, makes sense with the timeline. That's what a lot of people have. It's a year later. Um, yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it was a long time to not, to not know what was yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, so we went to the fertility specialist and we started doing all the normal testing and, and everything was coming back, honestly, like normal, like my hormone levels were fine. The only hormone level that was off for me a little bit was my anti-Mullerian hormone, the AMH level. Yeah. And it was high and that can be indicative of PCOS, which is kind of what I was experiencing without you know, I wasn't ovulating. So that made sense. Mm -hmm. um, but that was really it. I had an HSG that was all fine. And so they of course had my husband do a semen analysis and we thought like, like everything else, that's probably going to come back normal. I mean, especially because I've been doing, I was the one doing testing for a year. You know, it was me doing the testing, mm -hmm. me doing the appointments, me taking the medications. Yeah. So we thought like, Oh, the semen analysis, that's just a formality. We'll just get that out of the way. We were wrong. <laughs> um, so in September, 2019, we actually got the results that my husband basically just has what is likely a genetic mutation where he just doesn't produce sperm. Yeah. And it's not something we could have known about. It's not something, there's nothing that caused it. It's just likely a Y chromosome micro deletion, but we didn't actually have the testing because it's not going to change anything. Um, but yeah. So we found out he doesn't really produce sperm. And they told us at that time that our only option for conceiving a genetic child mm -hmm. would be to pursue in vitro fertilization with ICSI, which is intracytoplasmic right. sperm injection, mm -hmm. where they take the sperm and they inject it directly into the egg. But that was our only option for a genetic child. And that's what we learned at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me just ask you, Jenna, it's a little off topic, but not off topic. Are you in the medical field for profession? I am not. You're not because you say those words really good, girl. You're really good with all the terms. Thank you. It's just all the research and all the reading. Yeah. But you know how to pronounce it just like like a nurse or a RE or some other kind of, you know, specialist in the field. I just had to ask. You guys, Jenna looks fabulous. Her makeup is like flawless, okay? I'm so jealous right now. I don't even have any lipsticks to put on for you guys on the YouTube channel if you're watching. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so that that's quite the journey. So like how long did it take you guys? to did you jump right into IVF once they gave you the look just go ahead and you know they gave you permission to just basically do it did you jump right into IVF did you take some time yeah so that's a great question um we actually so we knew before the diagnosis that mm -hmm. IVF was not something that we wanted to pursue okay. um, we just felt that it was not something that was God's story for us gotcha. and I just want to be really clear when I say this I do not mean that that's the case for every person. I think that IVF is a valid, good option for a lot of people. Just for us, just something about it 
we didn't feel like it was what we were supposed to walk into. Okay. And so this now, and again, this was before even getting the diagnosis that we sort of felt that way. And so then when we heard that that would be our only option <laughs> for conceiving a genetic child, we were like, oh, right. maybe, uh, maybe we should rethink that. But honestly, we just, it, it was just like a flash of like, oh, should we do it? Because pretty quickly we, we, came back to that position of, no, there's just something about that for us that doesn't feel right. Um, and so actually several months prior, I had been reading a ton of, you know, infertility resources and mm -hmm. blogs and podcasts and all the stuff that you do. Yeah. And one podcast that I listened to talked about um, this thing called embryo adoption. Mm -hmm. And this couple had gone through IVF and they had remaining embryos when they decided they, they were complete with their family mm -hmm. and they didn't know what to do with them. And so they ended up donating them to this place called the National Embryo Donation Center, NEDC. It's in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. um, and they worked with them to, to donate their remaining embryos so that another family could adopt them and use them to become pregnant and have a family. And so I heard this for the first time and I was like, what is this concept? Yeah. Like it's crazy, but like a seed was very clearly planted in my heart at that time. Mm -hmm. And before I even knew that God was going to actually shut the door on genetic children for us, like that was in my heart. And so I remember being in the office, getting that diagnosis for male factor infertility and that embryo adoption came into my mind. I was like, okay, well, we need to really think about this now as a true path. And so we did, you know, we, we really didn't think about IVF at all because of what we just sort of felt in our hearts that it wasn't for us. And we, we really started shifting our minds to embryo adoption pretty quickly. Wow. Wow. And your husband, was he really on board with it too as well? Or did it take some time? Cause you know, men, you know, yeah. you know, men. <laughs> oh yeah. Another good question. Um, actually, when I listened to the podcast and heard about it the first time, I told Brian, I went downstairs and I was like, Hey, like, I, I just heard about this thing called embryo adoption. And he was like, no, that sounds <laughs> super weird. Yeah. Not interested in that at all. And then it was just, I can honestly only explain it as like God working on his heart over time. Right. It was just, he sort of, just, he, you know, sort of thought about it more and started to come around to it. And then like, it just became something that he suddenly became excited about. Mm -hmm. And we both got on the same page of like, this is something we want to do. And so, Wonderful. yeah, that's how we got there. Wonderful. So walk us through your process with the embryo adoption. Were you guys living in Pennsylvania at the time when you made the decision to work with um, the uh, NEDC? Yeah, we were. Okay. Um, it, it's weird because I said, you know, I learned about embryo adoption even before getting our diagnosis. And I remember the first time I read about the NEDC mm -hmm. um, on their website. It was actually in an acupuncture session because uh -oh. you, know, you need something to pass the time. <laughs> so I was like scrolling my phone and, you know, reading their website because I'd heard about it from that podcast. And yeah. I, there was just like a piece that I had when I was looking at their mm -hmm. website, there was something about it. And clearly I, I honestly think it was like a spirit nudge, like, yeah. Hey, this yeah. is, this is the right path for you. This is going to be a door that I'm opening for you is what I felt like God was saying. And I just, there was this peace and this hope when I was reading it. And I was like, mm. okay, you know, so I tucked that away. And then when we got the diagnosis and we started seriously considering embryo adoption, we, yeah. we looked at some other agencies, but honestly, I just was like, you know, the NEDC 
from everything I've read, like in my opinion, it's unmatched. Like okay. I, I want to go there. And so like just a couple reasons, like the, the value that they place mm-hmm. on the lives of embryos was really important to us. Like they treat embryos as little human beings, you know, that are okay. just frozen in the most vulnerable stage of life and need a womb and a family, you know? Yeah. And so they'll, you know, they, they require an approved home study for the adoption process. Okay. You know, it's not just like you get an embryo and you get, you get an embryo. embryo. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> actually have to go through some paperwork and the process and be approved for a home study and, and do all that. Like you would in wow. a traditional adoption. Wow. Um, they'll transfer any viable embryo. So if there are poor quality embryos or, you know, um, yeah, just poor quality embryos, mm-hmm. they, they won't say, well, no, we're not using those. Like they will give every embryo a chance at life. Um, And then also like their credibility as a clinic, they started doing this in 2003. So they're coming up on like two decades of doing this and they handle all of the medical, all of the legal and all of the social aspects of embryo adoption. So you know, you go there and it's like a one-stop shop from start mm-hmm. to finish. The only piece that I had to work with another agency for was the home study. Okay. Everything else is handled in house. Like, and some, some clinics don't do that. Like some clinics will do the matching process, the adoption process mm-hmm. get you set up with your donor family, but then you have to work with your own fertility clinic or like a partner fertility clinic to actually have the transfer and all the, you know, medical prep and all that stuff. Okay. Um, but NEDC is everything. And, um, also they have higher than average pregnancy rates, which gotcha. was very, very good. And I was That's really important. Yeah. 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 Um, and in general, the process seemed really doable. So like when okay. I was reading it, I'm very much like a numbered list structured, organized person mm-hmm. and embryo mm-hmm. adoption can be a huge process. I mean, IVF is a huge process and right. embryo adoption is also a huge process. Right. Cause it's, you know, kind of a combination of adoption mm-hmm. and IVF in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they made it seem really doable. Like with a step-by-step, here's what you do first. And the people are incredible. They walk you through mm-hmm. it. They answer your questions and they actually care about you. Like I, yeah. I've had some pretty the compassion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. sometimes is missing. I feel like in a lot of fertility experiences. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And this was like night and day to that. Like I Mm -hmm. felt like they saw me, they valued me. They wanted to do what was best for me and my husband and for the embryos. Like, yeah, it was just unparalleled. Wonderful. And you stated earlier that, okay, so you guys lived in Pennsylvania. Did you have to travel there or? Okay. Okay. You did. Yeah. Okay. So for the NEDC, you go down twice. You go down one for first for your initial appointment, which is to like meet everyone there, tour the facility, um, get medical clearance because they also want to make sure that you know they're giving those embryos the best chance at life, and so they want to make sure you're as best as they can, you know, able to carry the baby and that there's no blockages gotcha. or everything looks okay. So they want to clear you medically, and they'll do a trial transfer actually to make sure that there would hopefully be no issues with the real transfer. Right, um, right. So you go down for that. And then the second time you go down is for your actual frozen embryo transfer. So gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So for your embryo transfer, did you have to, did you have to take some of the same medications um, as if it was a regular fertility cycle? 
for yeah. like your trigger shots and your your pile, maybe you want a pile shot or estrogen yes. suppositories and things like that. Okay. Yeah. So there's some of it that you don't have to take because, and that's actually honestly one aspect that we really liked about embryo adoption compared to IVF was just, it was fewer medications because obviously I'm not doing like the egg retrieval exactly. or anything like that. We're just, it's an already created embryo and I'm really just preparing for the transfer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we had to, I had to do estrogen. I had to do some Lupron stomach shots Okay. and I had to do the progesterone and oil shots as gotcha. well. Gotcha. Yeah. Great. That's that. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. That reminds me um, of what I had, which is natural cycle IVF, which is a oh, less informed, yeah. less invasive form of it. Um, yeah. Much less, much less hormonals and things like that. So yeah, that's wow. Wow. So how long was it? Between, so tell me about the process for accepting the family or, or, or finding the match for the family that you'll be uh, adopting the embryo from. Is it, uh, was it done virtually? Like you have a, they have a catalog online or was that part of your first consultation when you went down to see them? So we learned more about the process when we were in that first consultation, but the whole actual matching process is done remotely. Okay. Um, There's a lot of back and forth. So basically what happens is when you are medically approved and your home studies approved, Mm -hmm. because they won't put you in a matching cycle until your home studies approved, um, then they will send you a whole big file of these one page PDFs of donor profiles. And so you also have the option to do open or closed adoption. And if you're choosing one or the other, um, we're doing open adoption for reference, but you'll get the donor profiles from that grouping, the ones that said as a donor, they would like to do open or closed. Um, So you'll get the donor profiles, these one page sheets that just kind of give you some basic physical characteristics, um, career, blood type, height and weight, like really basic information. And from there, you kind of just have to pare down and say, we're interested in these, 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 and then respond and say, can we see extended profiles for these? And then if they're available for a transfer cycle, the NEDC will send you the extended profile. So then you can see more like health information, pictures if they're available, um, other background information, uh, a letter if the you know donors have written anything to share. Mm-hmm. So if you get the extended information, you see all of that. And then it's kind of just a back and forth where you decide okay. like, okay, like this looks like a good, a good donor family. I'm interested in them. You tell the NEDC and then they reach out to the donor family mm-hmm. and the donor family has the choice to accept you back or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll actually see then. Yeah, it is interesting. It's mm-hmm. nice because, you know, we as the adopting family got to pick first, but then they have to say yes or no to us. Wow. Um, so they'll see like our profile then and, you know, our pictures and our letter that we wrote to the donor family. And then if they say yes, then you have a match and then you kind of mediate an agreement with the social worker and, then when that's done, you start preparing for the transfer. Wow. So I know that with uh, embryo adoption, you're, you're, you, you have the mother who provides the egg, but then you're carrying. So then we go in, that goes into epigenetics where, you know, your DNA is also imparted into that embryo, into the life yeah. of the child. And so how did you prepare spiritually? Because I, I can tell that you are a uh, God-fearing woman. Yeah. And so... How did you prepare spiritually to, I guess, throughout the process, was there different things that you did to cope and to 
prepare yourself mentally for the fact that, okay, this is not my egg, but it's still my baby because I'll be carrying it. I'll be nurturing it and nourishing it with my womb and things like that. How did you guys prepare for that? This is a great question. <laughs> I'll give you a moment to think if you want. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say my, my first thing, and this is a, a little more silly one, and then I will share like more serious, but no problem. the first thing is, so we, my husband and I have a cat mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I did not grow up with pets. So I didn't, okay. I didn't know the love of animals until we got our first cat together. And over time, like having this cat, I started to realize how much I love this tiny Freaking little cat, ball yeah. of yes, <laughs> is not blood related to me mm -hmm. and it's not even my species. And yet right. like, I am obsessed yeah. with my cat. Yeah. And honestly, like having that started to help me realize that you don't have to be blood related to your child to love them as your child. Like that's, that is not a requirement. You do not have to share DNA to be family. Um, so that honestly mm. helped me like prepare. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> that helped me kind of prepare for that in like a less serious way, but then yeah. more seriously, um, I think honestly, part of it is taking it one step at a time. Okay. Um, I know that I cannot possibly be prepared for all of the emotions that I'm going to experience or all of the, um, you know, obstacles or challenges that we might run into having a child that is not genetically ours, but one that I carried and birthed. Mm -hmm. um, because we, we are planning to tell our child and or children about their genetic parents and okay. to, to have that open communication. So our child will know their story. Um, so I'm sure that's going to bring up a lot to navigate with, you know, eventually they're probably going to want to meet them or have contact with them, at least in some form they have, our children will have genetic siblings that exist out there because right. our donor family has children. And so our, this baby that I'm carrying now already has four genetic siblings out in the wow. world. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, that gave me chills. I'm not going to lie. That gave me it, chills. That is yeah. like. That's incredible, you know? It's very cool, but like, it's gonna oh have gosh. challenges. Yeah. And I just have been, a, like, God has given me a piece to know that I will, he will give me what I need to handle those as they come up. Come and I can't prepare for every emotion or experience now. I just have to take it kind of one step at a time. And that's sort of what we're leaning into and trusting. And of course, we're also gonna be investing, I think, in, in resources and trying to learn um, how to navigate like open adoptions mm -hmm. because is a weird version of it but it really is adoption in, in mm -hmm. that sense that we're going to have communication with these genetic parents yeah um and so i'm sure resources will be helpful and and you know trying to rely on other people who have been through adoption or um just that sort of thing i think will help us wow wow and so how far along are you are you guys now i'm almost 18 weeks almost 18 weeks. Oh my gosh. Already in the second trimester. Yeah. Wow. It went by so fast. I know that first trimester. No. I know it's so it went true. by so fast. I remember being pregnant. It was like, it was long when I was nauseous, but then after the nausea went away, it was like, it like just flew by in a blink of an eye. Yeah. And I, I, it was one more question I wanted to ask you. Does the family have the option of whether they want to continue communicating with you guys? Do they have that option or is that part of the contract and things like that? Yeah. So we have um, an open agreement mediation document that we, okay. our social worker went back and forth between our donor family and between us. 
and we established communication preferences on that document. Um, it's not, I don't think it's a legally binding document because this isn't technically legal adoption because right. this isn't actually viewed in the U.S. as like an adoption because it's, I'm birthing the child. It's, you know, exactly. we have the birth, the birth rights is the parental rights, you know, but um, so we have this communication document for our relationship with us and the donor family. And I, I'm guessing they could probably change that at some point if they, they really want to. I don't know that I see that happening. They do have right. another genetic child to a different adoptive family. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of already have a communication preference set up with them. And they sort of mirrored that for what they set up with us. Um, but I think if they, if either party really wanted to change it in the future, that would be an option, I would think. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you guys, did you have more than one transfer or did it work on your first try? we were really, really blessed and it worked on the first try. Wow. And I know that is not a story that everyone yeah. gets to have and we're really thankful. Wow, that's such a blessing. It really yeah. is. Cause there's some horror stories out there where people go through to build their family. So that's yeah. really, truly a blessing. What advice would you give to someone who is considering it from an emotional standpoint? If the idea sounds great to them in their heart, but they you know, you still have your, it's like, I don't know, like, what will people think? And yeah, all those things like that. Well, I would say, be open to what it could mean for you without having to try to figure out every step of the process, like right this second. Yeah. I just think that when you're able to take it one step at a time, you will get there. But before you would start, it might be helpful to, you know, talk with people about it. Um, especially like friends and family, if they don't know your story or they don't know that you're struggling with infertility, you know, that would be a good place to start, um, to try to get some support because embryo adoption is going to be a process that requires support. So I think it would be really important to, to try to get that support network in place. If you're blessed enough to have people around that can encourage you and, you know, affirm you and pray for you and lift you up and, you know, be there when you're having a really bad day. Um, I think that is really, really important. And then if you have those people in your corner, then honestly, it's cake from there. You just, you take it one step at a time. You have those people supporting you and you do what you need to do and you'll get there. Um, And it's hard because like, I know everyone's even everyone's embryo adoption story is different. Like everyone's fertility story thing about it is wildly different. Yeah. 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 But embryo adoption, each of those stories are different too. So when I say you'll get there, I don't necessarily mean you'll get to a baby because nothing is guaranteed to come out to a baby. Um, but you'll get to where God wants you to go and you'll get to where is the right place for you to go. And I just think if you have the right people supporting you, it's going to make all the difference. It definitely does. Did you take to social media while you were on your journey? You yeah. Do- documented on there too as well. Oh yeah. It, that was a huge help for me. Yeah. And that's one of my biggest pieces of advice for people who are struggling with infertility and maybe they haven't shared about it or they're afraid to share about it. Mm-hmm. I, not everyone is this way, but like it has helped me heal so, so much, much. Yeah. to be honest and open about it because I feel like it takes those like feelings of shame or guilt, or like you have to process these things by yourself in secret, like gets rid of all that, puts it out in the open and it helps other people too. And like to know that 
my story and your story and like all mm -hmm. these other women and men and their stories are changing other people's lives and, and encouraging other people that is so helpful in the healing process. Yeah, I agree. And um, you guys know that's what we're all about here at Infertility and Gets Healing Together uh, because yeah. you can't do it alone and we're always stronger together. And it's very validating, like Jenna said, to be able to connect with each other outside of, you know, podcasts and platforms or blogs mm -hmm. and, you know, and talking to people in a more personalized way. So Jenna, can you give us your social media handle so that people can connect with you and follow along your journey and Maybe uh, they have a few questions and they want to DM you and slide in your DMs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my Instagram is Jenna, J-E-N-N-A-L Bieber, B-I-E-B-E-R. Yes, like Justin Bieber, but I am not related. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. <laughs> it's every question. <laughs> I'm like, everyone's like, are you related to Justin Right, exactly. <laughs> I know it. I know no. it. So it's Jenna L. Bieber. You can reach me there. And I also have a website where I kind of detail our journey. It's called openhearthomewomb.com. And the reason behind that is we have an open heart for parenting and an open home. And I have an open womb, not anymore, but I did have an open womb due <laughs> to my struggle with infertility. So that's where that comes from, openhearthomewomb.com. Awesome. And I'm going to make sure that I have it in the show notes for you guys so you can tap and go and connect more with Jenna. Jenna, it's been such a pleasure, dear. And um, I appreciate you so very much for you. offering your journey and your wisdom and your insight about the whole process. I know that it's still very new for you guys, you know, just being pregnant in your second trimester and all that. So if you guys need some answers, slide in Jenna's DMs. <laughs> It's very still fresh in her mind. She, yep. she knows she got all the, the steps and all the, the questions you guys have as a as someone going through it. She can help you guys. And I'm sure she'll be um, more than happy to do so if you connect with her on your on her website as well. So thank you, Jenna. And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode.